The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 126 for Monday, November 5th, 2007. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. Of course, I am here this week with John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? Fantastic, boy! This just—we got an extra hour. That's cool. Oh, the show gets two. Is going to be like like uh, two hours tonight or something? No. Oh. You're yeah, we got to an hour and uh, time. just got to mention this, okay? If you are in the United States, you know what tomorrow is. Nope. Hello. <laughs> nope. I don't. Oh, tomorrow's election day. In a lot of places. So of number places. one, it means the kids get the day off a lot of times because they use Not schools. Here. But number two. If you can vote, you better vote. Otherwise, if something doesn't work right in the future, it's your fault. That's right. And if you voted, then you have a right to uh, take to the streets with the torches and pitchforks. And <laughs> well, get your pick, sharpen your pitchforks tonight, folks, and then tomorrow night you can go after all of the uh, the unvoting masses. Uh, but for tonight, we're going to talk about stuff uh, that has to do with the Mac and and really. Whether you vote or not doesn't matter, at least not tonight, about the Mac, about the show. But otherwise, I agree with John. He's absolutely right. Uh, so we've got more stuff. Uh, we're going to actually wrap up the show. And by wrap up, I mean maybe the second half of the show will be more stuff about Leopard. We've got a keychain thing to talk about that's actually a little bit different, though probably a precursor to the keychain problems that folks have been reporting with with leopard and that john and i talked about a little bit last week and uh and then we've got a whole bunch of your questions uh torrents auto mounting and uh, perhaps even more depending on how uh how far we go here uh, but you yeah. know you could vote your questions i think we they can vote with their questions is that right were there emails yeah and they can well, i send it they could Feedback. even go to, if they want to vote for the podcast, they could go to uh, Podcast Alley there and, and vote for the Geek Gab right on Podcast Alley and try and drive up the numbers. And I'm not sure what, what that does in the end, but I guess it looks good. So that's good. It helps. You know, it's nice. Show us support. Wearing your Geek, wearing your geek Gab badge proud. All that good stuff. It's not a bad thing. Okay. okay. This is going nowhere. Let's talk about Mike. <clears throat> Mike says... I'm a longtime listener to the show, and I've always anticipating the next episode of it. I download the TV shows I watch through torrents, mainly because there are no TV shows section in the Canadian iTunes store, and put the torrent files into a BitTorrent program called Azurius. My internet service provider says on their website that the service I have should be running at about 5 megabits per second, but whenever I download anything, be it a file through my web browser or a TV show through Azurius, my downloads run at about 12 to 15K per second. I do use a router... And thought that might be the cause, but it happens even when my computer is the only one connected and I've disabled the Wi-Fi part of it. I was wondering if you guys could help me out with this problem. And he's using a D-Link router. All right. So uh, number one, I got to say number one here. Okay. He may be involved in some technical naughtiness. Can we? Okay. Because you did read the background on this. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's torrenting for a lack of something, but... um as we all know, just the caution here is that some may view this as something that's that's not a good thing to do. That's right. Even 
I would agree if the content's not available to you through a legitimate channel, you can buy it. Uh, so anyways, just a, a little disclaimer there. That's right. But there are uh, valid uses for torrents. In fact, uh, there were... Oh, absolutely. It's being supported by real companies, right? Prior to iTunes coming out, there was there were a lot of podcasts... Not prior to iTunes coming out. Prior to iTunes supporting podcasts internally, there were a plenty of podcatchers that would support BitTorrent. And, uh, and a lot of podcasts like Dave Slusher's uh, Evil Genius Chronicles was one of them that was mainly distributed through BitTorrent. And, and just as a little tangent here, BitTorrent works, and this is actually not really a tangent. Uh, BitTorrent works by, if let's say you have downloaded half or maybe all of something. Let's, let's take a podcast, for example. So we're, we're not crossing any, you know, there's no legal boundaries. It's, it's totally fine, right? So you've downloaded it and 10 other people have downloaded it. And then John starts to go and, he wants to download it. Well, he doesn't download it from any one of us. He downloads it from all of us and we each chop it up into chunks. And this happens, but with the client and server, it's one app that does both and chops it up into chunks. And maybe he'll get chunk three from me and chunk two from Timmy and chunk one from Mike. And, and you know, Timmy. Yeah. You know, Timmy. Trust me. Well, Timmy, but I think it's a, it's a many to many thing as, a, as right. opposed to a many to, well, I don't know, one to many. I think that's what makes it yeah. really kind of cool is yeah. that it spreads it around to, to everybody. So to answer half of the bandwidth question there with related to torrents, you won't necessarily see, you know, the five megabits a second is theoretically your download maximum. But if the people from whom you are getting the torrent can't support cumulatively, can't support five megabits a second let's say you, you're downloading from 10 people and each of them supports 10k a second well then the most you'll see if you're downloading all 10 chunks simultaneously from those 10 people is 100k per second and and so that's how that works uh if you are downloading from you know people that can each support a megabit a second and you're downloading from 10 of them well then you would see your five megabits because you'd hit your max before they hit theirs does that make sense? Yeah. Some of the other things I've observed is that, so one is the torrent that you want to be part of. The more pe other people that are part of it, and the, the torrent trackers will typically show this, the number of people that are seeding and, and connected and all that to particular torrents. And the more people, the better, because it, it kind of learns as, as the, the, the longer it runs, the more people, and you, you can see this in, in clients, it'll show the more people are part of what's called the swarm. And actually, you can view the swarm and start seeing the people that know about you and can either take things from you or give things to you. Um, so that's one thing. And not everybody may have a high-speed connection. So, so as Dave pointed out, unless everybody, cumulatively, that you know about, and that, that's another thing, depending on the right if you pick the right torrent you may never find enough people that can provide your maximum bandwidth i guess is that's what it. i'm trying to say that crystallizes anyway. the thought perfectly N now the other thing mike mentioned was that he's never seeing in fact he's seeing that same 12 to 15k per second through website downloads now again not all web servers are created equal and not everybody has maximum bandwidth but if you're always seeing that, that does indicate that there might be some sort of network problem. The best thing to do is to go to one of the many uh, speed tests available. I use speedtest.net. Uh, that, that's my, my current favorite, and I've been using it for, I don't know, about the last year. And it's proven very reliable. Uh, do a couple of tests, and you'll see that it'll fall in line. If you're not getting full speed from that, 
call your provider. You've, you've got some issues. You did the right thing by pulling your router out of the mix because frankly, that's what your provider is going to suggest you do. So you might as well just do it and test it on your own that way. Um, but beyond that, then th- there's, there's gotta be some issue out there. Right. So what you're saying now you can test it. Yeah. Do a local test and just see. Right. Cause it could be because like the Linksys and others have features which can potentially limit bandwidth, which may be a good thing, especially if you have a lot of people, you don't want anybody hogging all the bandwidth. So that, 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 that could be the case. Um, they don't work though. Just for, for, uh, if you are, and I know he's he's bypassed his router, but we've talked about this before using QoS quality of service, mm-hmm. the Linksys and D-Link routers, all, uh-huh. all the stuff that you can buy for a hundred bucks or less. Yeah, a lot of them have QoS built in or or have mm-hmm. the ability to use it. All of them suck. They 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 cannot support it properly. They'll never work right. Um, I in order to do QoS right, you've got to spend big bucks on a on a a much better router. Otherwise you're not going to see your maximum bandwidth and, and you'll, you'll have a lot of problems. Uh, we've been, we've been, and we've talked about this before, but I just wanted to put that out there. Now, another thing could be happening, Dave. Yeah. Some ISPs, uh, internet service providers, whether it be cable or DSL or modem, sometimes they, they see certain types of traffic, which, uh, mm, good point. They may not be too happy about. Yeah, that's right. That's another thing is that if your provider sees, traffic which they think may be questionable they may throw all that as well now um uh azurius actually has a feature if you go to preferences connection transport encryption require encrypted transport it will attempt to mask your traffic to prevent being profiled and this is kind of the whole back and forth that has happened many times in in many worlds here where uh, you try to mask what you're doing and people figure out how to detect it and all that stuff so yep. your provider may not be too happy about what you're trying to do so enabling that feature uh may uh may change things try it out see yeah. what happens there was actually an issue recently uh, we'll mention this and then move on uh where comcast which is the provider we have here at uh, tmo towers east in uh, in durham new hampshire and uh comcast was actually not filtering the packets but they were using a, a product called sandvine to go out and figure out which packets were nutella or uh, potentially BitTorrent packets and what it would do is it would phony a response back to you saying, nope, this has been dropped. Then five minutes later, it might let it through. And it was their way of doing packet shaping or bandwidth shaping. And at first they denied it. And then they finally came out and said, yeah, we're doing some of that. We're not really blocking traffic, but, uh, you know, yeah, we've been doing some of this. So hopefully it, it seems like that's actually gotten better since they admitted that they were doing it. So maybe they've they've knocked that that number down. So. Should be interesting. All right. Uh, moving on to something that sounds like it's going to be uh, crossing the, the lines of legality, but actually isn't from Eric about DVD region codes. I think. Hi, Matt Geeks. This is Eric Neatleg calling from Osaka, Japan. I love the show, and I've got what I think should be an easy question for you. Like a lot of people living in a country that they didn't grow up in, I've got some problems with reading codes on DVDs. Now, I already know how to use MacDeliver to make a backup copy of DVDs that I already own to remove reading codes on DVDs that are of the reading code that my Mac is currently set to. But my question is about watching DVDs without having, having to burn a copy. I know that if I want to know if I buy an external DVD drive, 
EDD drive, can I set the external drive to one region code and have my internal drive to another region code? I've heard that this may be doable before, but I wanted to confirm with the kings of Mac Geekdom before I buy an experiment. I've got a PowerBook G4, 1.5 gigahertz and 2 uh, gigabytes of RAM, and a friend of mine who's also interested in this answer has a new aluminum iMac. Both of us are in Japan with our Mac set to region code 2, and we should watch our legally purchased region code 1 movies from the U.S. on an external drive without switching the settings on our computer because there's a limit of about five times that you can switch before your region code is stuck. Uh, thanks a lot. Don't get, get caught. Keep there it is. Okay. Just had to get that don't get caught in there. Uh, yeah. So I think John and I, uh, we both re researched this separately and found that yeah absolutely you can you can do this and the trick is that you can't switch it back and forth on any given drive but the region code is not set to your computer it is actually set physically inside the dvd drive to the point where if you did region lock your drive and had a reason that you wanted to have an internal drive with a different region you could and this might void the warranty you know but you could open up your mac and swap out your the dvd burner or you know the dvd drive itself that's inside your mac and then you'd get five more chances to do that to do that right presuming that you swapped it out with a new one and not a used one so mm -hmm. now i i could only speculate that there are people that have, may have written utilities which could make your drive think it's brand new oh but absolutely yeah there's there's some things and available. yeah things go awry you will have a nice little paperweight so Beware. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, been the solution been. sounds great. I mean, as long as once you lock a drive, I mean, there's that, you know, five, typically five reset limit. I mean, once you lock a drive, I mean, that sounds like a good solution is just to have different drives for for different regions. I mean, it probably makes the DVD manufacturer, the DVD drive manufacturer is very happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think regions should be discarded altogether, but that's just me and probably you and most of the uh, consumer public. Yeah, anybody that actually spends money on this stuff as opposed to the people that make <laughs> money on it. But, you know, hey, I'm talking about. So speaking of uh, making money, we have uh, a sponsor here for our show. Our first sponsor is Smile on My Mac. And this week we're actually talking about a different product than we usually do. We're talking about Text Expander. Now, Text Expander was just updated to version 2.0. In general, what Text Expander does is it allows you to create little text snippets. Uh, for example, let's say I have, uh, you know, we talk to people all the time and are constantly emailing, you know, with, with folks who are going to send us uh, items for review. And sometimes they've got to mail them if it's a physical item versus a download. So instead of going to my address book and looking up John's address each time uh, and then typing it into my email, I have set a, a shortcut where I type comma JFB for John F. Braun, ADD. So comma JFB ADD and bam, it puts John's whole address right in the email. I know it's right. It's the same every time. Good to go. And that's it. It just magically appears after a little popping sound. And it's uh, it's very nice. I do it with various little things that I need to enter regularly into forms or email. It kind of works system wide and uh, and it's a beautiful thing. They've updated it to 2.0. 2.0 adds a couple of different things. 
snippet groups, meaning you can have various different groups that you can turn on and off and you can enable or disable those groups on a per application basis. So if you know that you're only going to have your signatures in mail, we'll only attach them to mail. And then that way, if you happen to hit that same keystroke in a web form, it won't blast your signature in there. It'll just happily ignore it. Uh, also supports a favorite feature of mine, dot Mac synchronization, so that I can have the same snippet groups on all of my Macs. And, uh, and one very geeky feature, AppleScript snippets. What this means, inside the snippet, you can have AppleScript run, and the results of the AppleScript will be pasted or included in, uh, in with the snippet output. So that is Smile on My Mac's Text Expander version 2.0. It is a free upgrade for anyone who owned a prior version or 1. whatever, 1.x. And uh, it's $29.95 to buy it out of the gate. So check it out at smileonmymac.com. And with that, Ed has something to say about auto mount shares. Hey, guys. Really like the show every week. Um, what I have is a question being a fairly recent switcher myself. I have a network in my home. I have a number of shared drives on this Windows network. I would love it so that every time I log into the network, these shared drives would show up as, oh, speaking in Windows speak, um, shortcuts, basically, on my desktop. Appreciate it, guys. By the way, I'm running Windows XP Pro on those machines out there. Any thoughts on this one, John? Auto mail. <clears throat> hmm. All right. Well, I, I've I got a thought. A, you, well, I think there's a place you can do this. I, I think you found it. I'll, I'll let you go with it. You found it, but um, there's a. It may not be immediately obvious where to go. So. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I've done this and it's worked. Uh, if you go into system preferences, <laughs> I should say I've done this and it's worked in Tiger. I have not tested this in leopard because we actually prepped this question before we installed leopard on our, on our production machines. Uh, so, uh, you go to system preferences, accounts, login items, click the plus key, and then highlight the share that you've already mounted and click add that will add it in there. If you have told it when you've logged in from the finder to save the, uh, password in the keychain, then it will auto mount. Uh, and that's been my experience. I don't see why that wouldn't work in Leopard, but I had a it weird... It looks the same. I'm, I'm here in the login items, and it looks, okay. to me, identical. Okay. I had have a, a plus. You can add things. I can imagine, you know, I mean, all the things I have listed are kind application. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can add kind alias, I guess that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, a little thing I noticed while we were talking about this, Dave, sharing is that, you know, sharing uh, up until very recently... Uh, has been kind of a highly granular thing in that, in that you know, OS X, um, just in, w without third-party products, it was really hard to share things other than whole drives or volumes. But you may have noticed that with Leopard now, we can do, oh, thank goodness, folder-level sharing. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, this just in from OS 9, right? We had, we had uh, the thing last week, which was the grid spacing, and now we've got shares that you can set in you can it's cool you can either set them in the sharing preference pane or you you were mentioning this earlier john uh, i think you can just do get info right and turn a share on there yes there's now just a little box that says uh you know share it's that simple folks so 
nice work. So uh, it's nice to bring some of the you know features that Windows and other OSs have had for a while uh, <laughs> back. Yeah, yeah, that was something I missed. Was that? Uh, and yeah, and actually, I think they have better group functionality, though. I still have to work with that. We're we're gonna uh, I think talk about that in a future episode. But it looks like group definitions and and uh, and sharing among groups is uh, also enhanced now in Leopard. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. I, I want to. I, I'm I'm eager to hear what you find about that because you always find the uh, the little nuances that. That I tend to yeah, I've just noticed some dialog boxes now look different when, when you're talking about sharing and permissions. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, we are going to get into Leopard here, but first I wanted to talk about the keychain because there's something that's been going on and whether or not this is related to all of the issues that have been happening with Leopard, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about this. Now, I believe it was in 10. Two, but I could be wrong. It could have been 10.3 when the Mac OS 10 prior to that with 10.0 and 10.1, certainly. And then maybe 10 to 10 to uh, the default keychain that was created for your user account was the same name as your short username. So for me, that would be Dave. And that was where all of my stuff was stored at some point along the line. The default for newly created user accounts became called login and the file name was login.keychain and that's how it exists today. So uh and Mac OS 10 if if you had an upgraded account it would just keep you going along and it wouldn't impose this login.keychain thing on you. So but, every user normally has two keychain files no. if you did it in the old days. No. Right. No. No, no it, you would it well with Tiger that 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 changed yeah so you would you had one keychain file for the user there were other keychain files for the system but one for each user by default you could of course add jillions of them if you like uh, for various right. different purposes but the one for your user was by default short username prior to ten three uh, and then login after that. And there was good reason for this, and I, I noticed it instantly when I created a new, uh, in, in, when I created it, when I set up a new computer, when I set up a new computer with Tiger, uh, the default keychain was login, and I tried to sync it with my .Mac, and, and things got really kind of squirrely, and so that's when I realized, oh, I better you know change this computer. And so on the new computer, I just made the default keychain named Dave, and then everything was fine. But occasionally, I'd have weird little issues and and then with Tiger, um, especially with .Mac, it started creating this login keychain, and there were things it insisted on storing in there. And, you know, I just dealt with it. It wasn't that big of a deal, never really had a problem, and then heard about all these people having problems with uh, the keychains. And, of course, you know, last week I had not yet upgraded my MacBook Pro. I have since. I did it on Tuesday evening. So I decided, you know, I've thought about doing this for a while, why don't I go to all three of my Macs and make my keychain update my keychain name and make it what the Mac OS is going to be looking for? So I did. I migrated from my old keychain, which was named Dave, to a new keychain, which is called Login. And I did it by taking the following steps. So first, I quit all of my apps because I didn't want any apps trying to access the keychain while I did this. Then I opened Keychain Access. And on the left at the top, you should see a list of your keychains. If you don't, Go to the view menu, choose show keychains. 
Then click on the login keychain, highlight everything in there, and drag it to your short username keychain. Uh, for me, it was all that stuff was to Dave. There were a couple things where it said, uh, this item exists in both, both places, so I'm not going to move it. That's fine. At that point, go to the file menu, lock all the keychains, and then quit keychain access. So you've got all the stuff you want in the keychain with your username, your current default keychain, which has everything. Go to into the finder, go to home, library, keychains, and you're going to do two rename operations. You're going to take the current login.keychain and rename it to login.old. And then you're going to rename the short username keychain, in my case, Dave, to login.keychain. That's the magic. Then we reopen keychain access. There will be the login keychain there. And then Dave was grayed out. But none of them were set as default. So I highlight login, go to file, make keychain login default, quit, reboot. Next time I come back around, everything's fine. Uh, and I've been happy on all three of my Macs since. So that's the, uh, that's the path I took. I then did the upgrade to Leopard and didn't have any problems. But uh, that's the way the Mac OS wants to see it. They've standardized on login keychain being the keychain name. And then that way you can sync without any issues. Everything's good. It's, uh, it's the right way to go. I understand why they've done it, and that's where you have it. Okay. No, that's good to know because I ran into very annoying keychain problems because mm -hmm. I used them from way, way back, and it had both of them, and, uh, and I think things are, are working good. But, uh, yeah, the discussion boards had a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of talk about that. Yeah. So at uh, so one point or another, you get, you get bit because of, I guess, that mix of different keychains. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's also uh, one little thing is just in general, if you are in keychain access, there is this handy little thing under the keychain access menu called keychain first aid. It may not hurt to run that every now and then. Good idea. Just to make sure the structure of the files in your keychain is uh, makes sense to the utility. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, before we get into Leopard here, I will tell you about our second sponsor for the show, and that is Audible. You've heard us talk about it before, and we'll talk about it now. Audible is a place where you can go and get almost 40,000 different audiobooks. And you can get one of them for free by visiting audible.com slash MacGeekGab. Then you'll be able to download. It sucks it right into iTunes. You can sync it with your iPod. You can burn it to a CD. Or you can just sit there and listen to it right at your Mac or if you're on a Windows machine. That'll work too. Uh, all kinds of great stuff. How to Survive a Robot Uprising. Uh, Stephen Levy's The Perfect Thing, all about the iPod. Alan Deutschman's The Second Coming of Steve Jobs. And the IWAS book, How I Invented the Personal Computer and Had Fun Along the Way. Again, in order to get a 14-day free trial of the Audible Listener Gold and the one free download, you got to use audible.com slash MacGeekCab. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to hearing what you think about it. If you uh, This and, and any other advertiser, let us know. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Audible.com slash MacGeekCab. And with that, we jump right into Leopard. The first thing we're going to talk about is uh, something you've, you've probably seen other folks talk about. And John, I'm going to let you start here with uh, the Leopard Firewall. Uh, do we have to? Oh. Go, baby. Oh, I don't know. You know, I, uh, I had high hopes because, you know, OS X has always done, a, I think, a fairly good job, especially in Tiger, of taking the underlying firewall. Um, and making it understandable. Now, 
it was in the sharing control panel in Tiger, which, you know, some people may think is kind of a weird place, but it kind of made sense because the sharing services and the firewall are related from a network point of view. So in Leopard, they, um, I don't know. Oh, gosh. Well, the first thing they did was start. they moved it to the security preference pane, right? Uh, yeah. So they, they moved it there, but, but even we then, can live so, with that. uh, that's right. I'm okay with moving it because it does, it, it's a security tool. It's a sharing tool. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. So first off, I trusted them. So when I migrated my machine, it said, you know, transfer all your settings. And I thought there was an explicit thing saying firewall settings and, and security settings. So maybe I misread it, but I thought it all come over. So here's the first problem. So you start up Leopard. Everything's great. Migration assistant is done. And I finally find this control panel. And it's like, oh, it's off. Allow all incoming connections. Now, you know, at least in my security book, that's probably not a good default setting. <laughs> well, it lets everything work and, just right. And, and you know, I got I got to give him a smackdown for this. I mean, don't, at least come up with a dialogue saying, "By the way, you know, I'm letting the world into your computer uh, via the internet. Are you okay with that, or would you like to maybe set things up to be a little bit more secure?" So I I got to I I can't. All right, so that's great. I'm not the only one that said this. So that's bad. They start gripe up one. on firewall. So then you, but but then the other thing is that when you look at now the way you set it up before, because it was tightly coupled to the services that you were sharing, it kind of makes sense what was on and off. Now, you have only three options here, and they're very restrictive. So as we mentioned, when it starts up, allow all incoming connections. Bad idea. Then the other one, which is probably even worse, block all incoming connections. <laughs> And then they have a third one, set access for specific services and applications. And in theory, what's supposed to happen is when you set it to this is you start up applications that believe they need to mess with the firewall. They'll kind of get added to the rule base. The problem is it'll just list the applications and only bring it to the level of allow or deny for this specific application, which right now in mine I have iTunes, Safari, iChat Agents, Skype, Azurus, 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 Azurus. whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> But the only options available to me are allow and block. I can't see what they're doing, which you could with the prior Tiger invocation. So I don't think it's so much that anything about the firewall has changed, but the, the I don't know, I got to say it. I mean, the, the, the interface just got a heavy dose of suck. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot less <laughs> it's functional. Terrible. Yeah. I, I just don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Doesn't make I'm sense. Sorry, to Apple, me. but guys, it's just—I mean, it, it may have been an attempt to make it easy to use, but you can't even get to the point where people who know how to tweak it and want to see the ports and stuff can even get at it, and that's what really frustrates me. Yeah, yeah. I I I imagine that we're going to see. I hope <laughs> maybe it's it's not my imagination. It's hope springs eternal here for us to shortly see a, a better interface i can understand wanting to uh, to give a very simple interface for the firewall and have this auto configuration thing happen and that's great but what if i know i want to go and let people talk to my computer on port uh you know 2731 right that's my choice i want to do that but i want to block everything else well right now i got to go to the command line i i don't know of a way to do it in the gui and there was one in the uh yeah, now what it does, if, when it adds something, it asks you to point to the application in question, which, right. what if it's, you know, it's what if you just app. want to set up your own without 
pointing to an application. So again, I can understand how they're making it easy because in theory, the application will say, hey, I need these ports and the firewall will set itself up. And that, that actually sounds nice in theory, but I, I think it's premature. So I agree. Yeah. And yeah, and when you add it, yeah, when you add an app, it's allow or block. That's it. So. Now, from what I understand, it's a standards-based firewall underneath it all. So I, I imagine there are probably already oh, yeah. third-party utilities that can dig into the configuration files and, and make sense of this. But for, for the you know, for, for the, the default interface, I'm, I'm less than thrilled. I'm so. not so good. That's all i got to say about that. All right. Uh, so I'm a big user of iChat. And, uh, and though we're not going to talk about all the video stuff that's here, I do want to talk about uh, some of the more buried uh, things in the text interface. So you all know that uh, I'm a huge fan of iChat with tabs. And, uh, and of course, Chax was the, the thing that solved that for me months or maybe even a year ago. Well, of course, Chax doesn't work yet with iChat uh, 4.0, which is what we have in Leopard. So uh, we have to, but, but as, uh, as Steve Jobs showed us, iChat now supports tabs natively. So I thought, great, where is it? How do I turn it on? I'm digging through all the menus. I had to go to the Apple list of 300 features to see if it had been taken out. It wasn't. It's there. You got to go to the prefs, go to, you know, the iChat menu, go to preferences, go to messages pane. And then there's a little checkbox that says collect chats into a single window. Yeah, that's intuitive. Okay, and and Jeff Gamut, uh, bless his heart, did a did a uh, a little tip for us at TMO, and uh, we'll link to that article. But it says the same thing. While you're there, there's also a cool another option that says "Watch for my name in incoming messages," and this is handy because you can have it alert you when someone types your name into a chat window, and you can have it alert you differently. That's pretty cool. Uh, one other oh. thing. I used chats. That's very good. I got to mention, because every once in a blue moon, I will get an aim message out of the blue. And I know it's not mm-hmm. someone I know, but it's a bot. And the thing is, they don't know my name. So they'll do like hi or a wink or a right. You probably know what they want, but it's like, I mean, you immediately discard those. So I can imagine this is a great feature for kind of discarding these, these probably annoying little, you know, fishing expeditions here. But anyway, sorry. I just no. wanted to mention that sounds very, very, applicable to that problem well here here's how i use it we have Mm -hmm. a uh a a tmo uh, chat room that we keep going all day it's just for tmo staffers for the you know the on-duty guys and and we all kind of keep things keep a little conversation going there but i found myself having to log out of it because if i wasn't involved in a conversation there because if there was another conversation happening i was constantly getting these you know aim sounds that new messages were coming in and it gets distracting. Well, now I don't have to do that anymore. In the view menu, there's another hidden little option called use alerts in this chat. And of course, by default, it's on. You can turn it off. And so I can do that for the TMO chat. And now the conversation goes on. I have no idea if anything's happening. But if someone says, Dave, are you there? That's when aim make or aim. Sorry. That's when iChat makes a noise because I've told it to watch for my name in incoming messages. And then I know, Oh, let me go over here, see what they need. And I can go through the history. So if they're talking about, well, I'm having some problem with this, with this, maybe we should check with Dave. Bam. I'm alerted. And now I've got the history because I've already been in the room. 
Very, very handy. One last thing that I used Chax for was as new messages come in, you have to accept them. And this is a very, very annoying feature of iChat. And Chax let you bypass it saying auto accept incoming messages. Well, this is possible in iChat 4. And I'm not certain, but I think this may have been possible in iChat 3. If you uh, go to iChat prefs and go to alerts, and then for text invocate in <laughs> for text invitation, you check the run Apple script box and then select the pre-installed comes with the OS auto accept Apple script. And you can also do this with incoming file transfers if you want those to be auto accepted as well and uh, works really, really well. So just wanted to uh, throw those iChat things out there. And, uh, and I think that's it, John. You've got something about the remote access and sharing to talk about here for us. Before that, I just want to mention oh, okay. one thing may be worthwhile just very quickly because we're talking about updated software. Now, in this day and age of Leopard, people may be wondering, gee, do my applications need an update that, to work properly? Yeah. And uh, the thing I would recommend, we've talked about it before, but I'll just mention here, is uh, AppFresh. Oh, it, especially yeah. when you're doing a system upgrade, it may be worthwhile to run something like AppFresh, or there are a few other things, but that's the one that I like using. Just to let you know, that something may need a little little tweak. Um, I actually did that before I committed my machine to uh, Time Machine. I actually updated all of the stuff, so at least I was packing up something that was in a uh, in a decent state. But then now, back to what you were saying, Dave. One thing I liked was remote access. And now, um, like many, I hope, who have multiple machines, I have my G5, dual G5 has uh, Leopard on it. My PowerBook G4 still has um, Tiger on it because, one, I just want to maintain the... Uh, I, I don't want to put my, all my eggs in one basket. But anyways, the remote access works wonderfully. So the cool thing now is if you go to, um, so on the Tiger machine, all you have to do is make sure you go to the system preference. Uh, is it, is it uh, remote access? I think it's remote yeah. access that yeah. you have to enable. And that allows things like Apple Remote Desktop and other uh, services to uh, remotely come to your machine or Wait. use VNC. Yeah, you so go, I'm sorry, it's go Apple the, Remote Desktop under the services. In the sharing uh, pane. Sharing Tiger. And then the cool thing now is in Leopard on the, the sidebar on the left, there's now a new shared category. So if it sees a machine out there that is offering sharing capabilities, it just appears there, which I think is very, very nice and very, very intuitive because otherwise you kind of had to know the machine was there. Now, there may be a security aspect to this. But the cool thing is that if you double-click on the machine there, It'll say share screen, connect as VNC, and then it'll run a little app called screen sharing. Um, and it's like, huh, where is that? And here's the thing. So this is only for super advanced uh, propeller beanie geeks here. Be very careful. But if you go to system library core services, there will be a bunch of things in there. Some are interesting. And one of is called, one is called screen sharing, which is the app that runs when you make this connection. I'll be very, very careful. There are some things in there that you may not want to touch unless you know what the heck you're doing. So uh, look, don't touch. <laughs> but the remote access is very nice. And, and I'm looking forward to checking out some of the other things. I think, Dave, you and I are going to check out some of the iChat screen sharing. That looks very nice. Yep. Uh, um, and I guess the back to my Mac thing also, I guess, is a, is a form of that. Yeah, very cool. So that's a uh, so remote access uh, looks like it's definitely taken a step forward. And, uh, and it's cool that it works between different versions of the OS. I, I think it's a nice, uh, a nice touch. Cool. All right. So in, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan now of Apple's mail and uh, I've been using it for a while. 
And I really like the search functionality. In fact, I have all my incoming mail. Once I file it, it all gets filed into one place and I simply use search. So, you know, I upgraded to leopard. Everything was fine. I went to do a search and I typed in my terms and I could search by subject from or to, but entire message was grayed out. I thought, wow, what the heck is going on here? And so, you know, I asked Jeff Gamut in our TMO chat room. I said, Are you, do you have a problem with this in Leopard? He's like, God, I hope not. He went and checked. No, nope, works fine for me. And so I started digging around and then I went into system preferences into the spotlight preference because I remembered mail has its own database where it stores from, to, and subject, but the entire message search happens in spotlight and mail just kind of taps into that service. So I went to spotlight and thought, well, maybe it's because mail is turned off because I, I don't want my mail messages appearing in my general spotlight search. I only want them appearing if I'm searching mail. Did I turn that on? No, no problem. Then I went to the privacy tab in spotlight. Sure enough, every drive on my system, including my boot drive was listed here. So I had no spotlight service whatsoever hmm. running. And the interesting thing was, you know, last week we talked about how you could, uh, type a math equation into spotlight and you would get an answer. Well, if you don't have anything at all indexed, or maybe even if you don't have your boot drive indexed in spotlight, you will not get any answers from the math, the math. Cause I, I was having problems with that on my oh. MacBook. worked fine on the iMac didn't work on the MacBook. So, uh, and, and so once I did that, you know, spotlight went and took, I don't know, a couple of hours to rebuild its index on my machine. And then bam, everything started working great. So, uh, one nice thing, I, I know I should be using Quicksilver. Uh, I know you've all told me about it. I've tried it. I, I, I haven't been able to wrap my head around it. Everybody that I know uses it other than you, John. I don't think you do either. But uh, no. every, everybody else does. I don't use Quicksilver. I use Spotlight to launch apps. And yes, in Tiger, it was slow. And yes, in Leopard, it's way faster because the applications that match the search terms that you're typing come up first, then the rest of the stuff fills in as the search finds it. So if you're going to launch an app, command spacebar, you start typing the name of the app. You don't even have to hit command enter anymore. It sits there right on the application. You just hit enter or return. Bam, off you go. So that's my, uh, that's my nice, my piece. No doubt due to somebody watching how people used it or wanted to use it. Bingo. And during their frustration, when things would appear and then disappear. Bingo. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's what sucked. It was like, oh, I, oh, I almost made it, I, you know, very, very, very frustrating. Now it, it just works smooth, glass, silk, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, right. You got something to talk about. I've got something. And then uh, I think we're getting the heck out of here. Can I talk about which, which thing? Uh, did you, did you have anything else? Some, uh, some warnings perhaps on your list? Uh, yeah. Oh, that one. No, uh, I, I got a list here, but um, yeah, I noticed one thing here is that uh, with the increased, uh, you know, problem with, you know, questionable downloads. Now what happens is when you download certain things and you try to launch the app, it'll say application, blah, blah, was downloaded from the internet. Are you sure you want to open it? And I downloaded it from here and then it gives you, um, and it says, you know, do you want to do this? So I think it's nice is that they're giving you more detail about downloads uh, because, you know, the Mac is not going to be immune forever and there may be, Downloads that are questionable. What, what I think this dialogue doing is trying to preempt an attack where, uh, in the past, it, it, you may not have known where you got things from. This makes it a little bit clearer as to where download came from. So if you see, oh, you downloaded, you know, application erase hard drive from, you know, hacker.com, you may not want to run it. 
So it'll give you that level. I mean, there's still ways to get around it, but I think it's nice that they're increasing the the amount of information that they're asking the user to to look at before they approve something. Now, there's also another option, which I think you got to check, which is don't warn me again. Otherwise, from what I've seen, this may be a... Just a slip I made at some point. It'll incessantly warn you whenever it tries to launch that app if you don't click that checkbox uh, the first time you launch it. I don't know if you've you've been through this dialogue, Dave. Have you? I, I have, and I haven't. I think the "Don't warn me again" is a global thing because I haven't been warned about the same app twice. I let it go, and then bam, it just hasn't hadn't given me any issue. So maybe there was one where it was checked and I unchecked it. I don't know. Got so. it. Got it. Okay, that's a nice touch. And what else you got? Uh, I talked last week about spaces a little bit, and I've really, really begun using these quite a bit. Uh, One thing that I found frustrating was when I rebooted my machine, I had to switch to the space that I wanted a certain app in and drag the, you know, and then launch the app and move the app into that space and leave it there. Uh, Then I dug into the preferences a little more and found that you can tell individual apps to open in certain spaces. So now like on my, on my computer at home, I have three spaces. I've got the space where I have my email. I have the space where I have my uh, net newswire client and also my news watcher. Cause I still read some Usenet groups. And then I have a third space for iTunes just to make it easier to manage that and not have to dig through windows to, to deal with, with iTunes. Cause we play iTunes in the house through the iMac. And uh so now I've set it all up so that when I launch iTunes, it automatically goes to space three, net newswire and in newswatcher and space two, and then email in space one. And instantly I found that I was having a problem, especially in spaces one and two, where I wanted Safari uh, access to both. Cause sometimes I'll click a link and I wanted to open Safari from mail or from net newswire. And in addition to choosing which space you want something to open in, you can also tell an app to live in all spaces or every space is the, the option. And what's very cool about that is as you move spaces, all the other apps move around. And in this case, Safari stays right where it is. So now I've got Safari in every space. It'd be cool to say Safari in spaces one and two, but not three. And maybe they'll get to the point where we can uh, you know, have some checkboxes because it would be cool not to have it in the iTunes space, but to, but to have it in the other two. And uh, so only time will tell. But uh, that was that. And, and one last thing I will, I will mention here is, uh, and, and a reader pointed it out to me today, actually, the terminal now has tabs and it's automatically enabled just command T. It's the same interface as Safari. Thank goodness for that. Very Terminal nice. with tabs. That's right. Terminal with the tabs. <laughs> and uh, I think that's... Uh, it. That's it for the content. We do have this great Hi, band. <laughs> oh, the band, the band, the band's here. Hold yeah. up, huh? <laughs> uh, we had a frost two days ago. Yeah, we did. Yeah, hmm? it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, we do have a great deal on a hotel for MacWorld Expo. Uh, we'll link to the article here at TMO. But uh, you can stay at the Hotel Milano. If you use the TMO code or the just link to it from TMO and it'll get you right there. You save five bucks uh, for every room night that you that you book and uh, and it, it helps. It's a nice hotel. The website looks horrible to be honest with you. Brian Chaffin went and checked it out personally, checked out a bunch of rooms there. Really, really like this this place. So uh, this is this is the place to stay. Go ahead and check out the hot spot. It's a hot spot. It's right around the corner. Not not a bad location at all. So that's uh I think that's what we have to say from that. We're we're getting out of here. 
right? You got anything else to talk about here, John? No. No. Uh, going through the list here. iPhone Alley, of course, Michael Johnston's site. Michael Johnston converts this show into AAC for your listening and viewing and linking pleasure. Next week will be more of the same, more questions like this, probably a couple more leopard tips. We're trying to dig into leopard and find those things that might not be so obvious. Uh, so if you find any of that stuff, please send it along. And here's where you send it. You send it to uh, feedback at macgeekgab.com. That's one place. You can phone it in, if you're so inclined, to 206-666-GEEK. And that is, John? 4335. That's right, 4335. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then you can Skype it to MacGeekGab. So that's, uh, that's all the ways of getting it in. Please send in questions, tips, whatever you like. You know, we like to share everything here. Uh, Easter eggs. Easter, Easter eggs. eggs. That's what we're looking for. Easter eggs. Yeah. Cool little things that you noticed. Mm-hmm. They're in there somewhere. I know it. That's right. Like the little blue screen that we found in the sharing thing last week. That, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> I like that. that was uh, it was a nice blue. Yeah. The podcast marketplace this month has the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Text Expander from Smile on My Mac, one free download from Audible.com, and Harmon-E-Travel.com for all of your travel needs, cruises, airfare, Car rental at Macworld Expo. It's all right there. Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you go to sponsor the show. And uh, I think we're out of here, John. Write more iTunes comments. We love those. We really do. I really get a kick out of reading all those things. I, it, it, it means more than you than you know. So if you got a minute in your day, you want to give a little something back, but you don't necessarily have something to contribute to the show, go write us an iTunes comment. We, we'll love it. Thanks for staying subscribed, folks. And, uh, you know, while you're burning those DVDs and bit torrenting, don't get caught. <laughs> May not.